1: Yes, it does. Live from the NASDAQ market site, this is Fast Money. I am Brian Sullivan in for Melissa Lee. And your traders on the desk tonight are Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We're also pleased to be joined by Lori Calvasina, head of U.S. Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Lori, welcome. Thanks for having me. We apologize in advance. Tonight on Fast, we're going where the money is. The big banks. You just heard Will talking about it. J.P. Morgan, Citi, Wells Fargo, all reporting their results before tomorrow's open. We'll break down what to expect. Big week. And we go west, young viewer, to the JPMorgan Chase Healthcare Conference in San Francisco. Meg Jarrell has the first on-air interview with the CEO of Agios. That stock down more than 6% today. We'll find out why. And pay attention. Okay, all right, sorry. Can you name today's mystery chart? The stock dropping at 1.15% bounced back a bit. Had a bitter cold holiday
2: season. Interesting.
1: Any idea? It means
2: something. That means something. You probably do.
1: It's a retailer. All right. We'll give you the name coming up. But we begin with news on trade. The United States officially dropping the currency manipulator designation for China. Let's get right now to Eamon Jabbers in Washington with more on this developing story. Eamon.
3: Yeah, Brian, that's right. Treasury now making it official at this hour. They are dropping that currency manipulator designation that they slapped on the Chinese last year. They're removing it today. The Treasury Department saying in a statement that's for two reasons. One is the appreciation of the currency that's happened uh, since last fall. And the second one is agreements that they've made inside that so-called phase one trade deal. They're saying here in this. Uh, agreement, China has made enforceable commitments to refrain from competitive devaluation and not target its exchange rate for competitive purposes. China has also agreed to publish relevant information related to exchange rates and external balances. So uh, the Treasury Department here is saying that those are specific details agreed to in that phase one deal, which will be officially signed here in Washington on Wednesday. We still don't have a lot of specifics on what's in there but this is some new information about what might be included according to the treasury department the chinese delegation Brian arrived here in Washington today. We got some pictures of them uh, at the airport uh, getting into their cars. We are told uh, that they will be here at the White House for an 11.30 a.m. ceremony in the East Room on Wednesday. I just talked to Robert Lighthizer, the U.S. Trade Representative, just a couple of seconds ago here on the White House driveway. Uh, He said that there will be a social component to this as well on Tuesday night. They expect to have a dinner with the Chinese uh, counterparts on Tuesday. So a lot of diplomatic rigmarole surrounding this Signing, but we do expect, ultimately, to see the fine print of what's actually in the deal. According to Larry Kudlow, we'll see all of that text on Wednesday for the public to mull over and figure out what's in and what's not in this deal. Brian?
1: Oh, look forward to it. Eamon Jabbers at the White House. Eamon, thank you very much. You bet. All right, Guy Adami. The Chinese renminbi had already been on the upswing prior to this deal. It's, it's, it's above 7 to 1 U.S. dollar. Is this material for the equity market? For the currency market?
4: Was today. I mean, I think, in my opinion, clearly, I think most of the rally today was predicated on that news that was sort of announced earlier today. Great job by Amon. With that said, and please, as the kids say, don't at me, but the president and the administration were correct that Chinese were manipulating their currency, except they got it backwards. I mean, for the last two years or so, they were trying to strengthen it not allow it to weaken. That's number one. The biggest currency manipulators maybe in the world historically, or at least the last couple of years, have been us, given what the Federal Reserve has done. I just wanted to get that <laughs> out of the way. That being said, yeah, I think did. it helped. You're going to get it, some ads. Gene, I don't, I don't, so I've said it You're before. I'll your say You're going to get your ads handed I mean, to mean, you, you know what? But saying. I will tell you this. Sometimes the truth is a painful thing, and that is absolutely the truth. However, market liked it today, and this melt-up continues.
2: Well, I, I agree with you. I think, if anything, China's had a capital flight issue. China's been very focused on currency stability um, because I think they want to be a major global center. Uh, the most important impact here of all of this is emerging market assets. If you buy the EEM, if you buy EM, 40 percent of that is all based upon the Chinese economy directly. And then indirectly, China's influence as a currency on Southeast Asia and the entire region is a lot more important than it is here. Notice the outperformance of EM assets today. Notice the, the a lot of these assets that continue to to move. But what it ultimately means is we can find a deal when we're looking for a deal. Go back to why we started all of this. I'm not sure we've solved any of this. Uh, I think Peter Navarro has been very much the leader of the China hawk territory, must have found something in a future negotiation path um, that seems like a compromise, because even during good times and whatever we're calling now, and I think now we're good times, but Peter has found a way to dig in on important issues he believes are part of this. And I don't think we got anything
1: here. Don't we want them, Tim, to be a currency manipulator? Because I think to Guy's point, if it totally free floated, most people that we talk to, I talk to, believe it would fall farther. Right. It would weaken, 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 which would then make their exports to the United States less expensive, negate some of the impacts of the trade war that we used to have or may still have again. Right.
2: We want them to, <laughs> to well, uh, keep it stronger. We, we want stability. And, and I think, as Guy pointed out, every nation is going to do what's in, in their sovereign best interest. But I think part of that is what's best for, for trade and also stability. And I think currency stability in China, if you think about the social issues that they confront on a daily basis and do, I, I think, a reasonable job balancing. And I know it's easy to be critical, um, but we don't have the same issues in this country. So the currency is going to be something that I think they have to control. And I think they will just seems like a pretty odd concession, considering that there's actually no news about this
5: deal when we're really thinking about it, like what we know about it, it really is increased ag purchases by um, the Chinese, which they stopped buying once we put the tariffs up a year and a half ago. So to me, there's no there there. There's no deal. There's no nothing. And the president said it last week that, you know, we may wait until after the election to really get into the meat of phase two. So there's no deal. All it is is kind of like an easing of tensions. And then you have to start to ask yourself, why are we negotiating against ourselves why are we giving this big concession two days before we're supposed to have a signing ceremony for nothing so to me i think that investors are going to be sorely disappointed when we actually get the piece of text or the piece of paper um you know on wednesday so
6: no, I, I agree, and I, I think it's so odd that markets are celebrating something, and we really have no idea what's actually in it, except that you know this vague notion that it's not going to be all that substantial and all that important. And oh, by the way, we're about to start negotiating phase two, where all the hard stuff is really going to be. So I worry the market's going to be disappointed once the drama they're comes giving, back. Maybe
1: Lori, they're giving something up ahead of that phase two.
6: No, I. I they're trying
1: to ratchet down. But I the thought tension. that we
5: had all the leverage. That—that's that, what I just don't understand. I'm just, I'm just saying,
1: that could be a different point. I'm just saying. Maybe they're trying to give a gift, a preemptive gift.
6: Maybe. maybe. And, you know, I think that's a fair point. We had a nice little move today. But at the end of the day, I think you have to ask yourself, is this a lull in the action or have we really made, you know, substantial progress and we're not going to take a few steps back? And, I, you know, I, I do think the market is going to have ample opportunities, especially given where valuations are, where positioning is, to get a little indigestion later on.
1: All right. Now let's turn to what could be, could be a major moment of truth for this record rally. Earnings season kicking off tomorrow morning with Citigroup. J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo reporting results. On Wednesday, you're going to hear from Bank of America Goldman Sachs. And on Thursday, <clears throat> Morgan Stanley, will the big banks add more fuel to the market's fire? Or, Guy Adami, could we be in for a rude awakening on a sector that some might argue is price to perfection, two times book value.
4: Well, depending on the metrics you look at, I happen to think they're price to perfection. Look at Citi, for example, which is now trading close to, I don't know, 1.7 times tangible book, right around book value. Talk about J.P. Morgan now trading north of two times book. Uh, You know, these are lofty valuations in an environment where, quite frankly, I don't think they deserve it. Now, people will say they're cheap on a P.E., That's fine, but in terms of price to book, you're getting to levels that we last saw 2008, 2009, and quite frankly, they didn't deserve it then, and I'm hard-pressed to believe they deserve it now.
2: Well, if you look at things that are going to be related to net interest margins or, or loan to, to deposit ratios, which are as low as we've seen, I'm just looking at some, some data here since 1985, according to Fed surveys, there's, there's a lot of things that could be headwinds. But here are the tailwinds. Uh, the tailwinds are the fact that the banks now are being run to be, I think, more aggressive in terms of their profitability, not just their balance sheets. And I think this is something that people are missing, except for the fact that the market is, is pricing this in in terms of the re-rating. I don't think it's significant to go out and buy any stock for a dividend, but I think in the case of the banks, the fact that they're giving money back to investors, uh, and I think that has everything to do with the breakout you're seeing in this chart. And I know, Carter, anyone who's come on here has talked about this breakout of the banks. This has been a 10-year basing period, ultimately, and a re-rating period that I don't think just stops because you broke through or or near resistance. You've broken through that. So I like the charts, but I think the fundamentals are fine.
1: Laurie, the price-to-book ratio, and I'll look at J.P. Morgan just by itself. The rest are about the same. Remained between zero point eight and one for about eight years. Yeah. Now we're at one point six for JP. It's doubled in three-and-a-half to four years time does it merit that kind of valuation well multiple? i
6: i think that's a bigger question about the market generally does the market generally deserve these lofty multiples probably no but that's why i think you do have to go back to the relative valuation call where are things not quite as bad as they are in the market generally and i mean just to pick up on the point about shareholder return i'll tell you one thing i really like about the financials right now it's one of the sectors where we're still seeing buyback announcements ramp up there they're getting more optimistic about returning cash to shareholders through the buybacks as well as the dividends, we're seeing those buyback announcements start to slow in many other sectors. So to me, I think you've got a long, you know, sort of a a stable base here for a while.
5: Yeah, I would just add this, that the bank trade in the last few months is really about the Fed. It's about the yeah. Fed fixing the yield curve. Bank stocks did not like it this summer when we had the, the yield curve inverted, so we had those three consecutive rate cuts, and then we saw the expansion of the balance sheet. And if you look at what bank stocks have done versus the S&P 500 since early October, they've almost doubled the major money centers, the performance of the S&P 500. So it really comes down to, again, where do you think the Fed is? What are they going to be doing for the balance of 2020? And I would suspect at least as far as the guidance that we get out of these banks, that it's going to be somewhat cautious given where the stocks have come, focus on the stuff that they can control, which is the return of the capital, that sort of thing. And, you know, as far as capital markets and all other stuff, it may be more volatile. That may be good for them. We just won't know that for a couple quarters.
2: Well, I I also think if you think of if you want some insulation, I think your point's well taken in terms of the Fed and the impact and and them kind of papering over a lot of issues, literally. But if you look at the regional banks, they don't really have that same kind of repo exposure. And I so therefore, if you are concerned, I I think I actually think the regional banks should be more defensive here in this environment. The one thing you have to worry about, especially in the regionals, is they were very interest rate sensitive. And and I don't think rates are going to get away from us here. But I, I do think there are reasons. And we see this in asset allocation right now. Excuse me. Um. That has to do with uh, we, we see inflation, we see reflation, and we see that in yields. That won't be great. Uh, excuse me. That will be a driver for regional banks, but that won't be great for some concerns around credit.
1: All right. Good discussion on the financials. It's going to be a very busy week for those big banks and a very busy week for one Mr. Wilfred Frost. Well, amid the oncoming slew of big bank earnings, a chart master says there is one name that has maybe looked a little too good for too long. Carter Worth is at the Plasma to tell us what it is.
7: So I wanted to focus on J.P. Morgan, the darling. Um, we prefer things like Goldman Sachs, frankly, Morgan Stanley, catch-up trades. But let's look at J.P. Morgan and maybe make the case why it is uh, overdone at this point. You can see the chart, no judgments, annotations by me. Now let's focus on the breakout. And it's a textbook breakout, right? You can draw your lines this way, an ascending wedge. But the point is, well-defined tops at a common level and a breakout. Now, once a stock breaks out, whether it's a semi or a bank or a retailer, how far can it go? It can go forever. But there is an old technique called a measured move. You take the width of the range. This traded in a range for two years before ultimately breaking out. And if you look closely here, the width of this range, $88 is the Christmas low. 114, 114, 114. It's a $26 range. Take a look at the next slide. $26. A measured move is the width of the range from the point of the breakout. We touched exactly $1.140 on Jan 2nd and we stopped dead cold. My hunch is that this is overdone and you want to play laggards rather than a stock like this that has already sort of met its objective. And as you guys were speaking earlier, it is uh, reaching a price to book that makes one say, hmm. Here is, of course, J.P. Morgan versus the BKX Uh, since 2009, a 10-year chart. It's a double. And then just banks in general, and this is uh, kind of the issue. What do we know? If I draw a line here in January and I draw a line here, the BKX has made no progress. I mean, banks as an aggregate, as a theme, as a bet, and they peaked. Right after the presidential election, it's where Alpha goes to die. Maybe this gets better, but after the last two years, no results, unchanged absolute, in a big bull phase, a disaster on a relative basis compared to other choices one could have made.
1: All right, Carter, why don't you come on over here, guys, and let's talk more about this here. I mean, he's not, as you said, he's Lori. He's looking at the chart. He's not making a value judgment initially, but he he, he looks at the charts and says, what this is what I think." What, what he do you does. Think.
6: Well, well, again, I go back to, you know, is this potentially signaling something about the broader market as a whole? And I do happen to think we're a bit overdue for a pullback at this moment in time. Now, you know, I... I'm also sensing that investors really do want to find the relative value calls right now. Investors we talk to think stocks are overvalued, and they're trying to find things that haven't run up quite they do as think much. That. Yes, yes. I mean, we did a survey. So, are
1: they selling, or are they just it's overvalued? But I'm going to still own them.
6: Well, we did a survey on this in December, right before the holidays, and we actually found that most of our clients were bullish, but they still thought stocks were overvalued. Um, one of the things we found is they're very, uh, you know, kind of bullish on valuations. There's a lot of liquidity sloshing around the system. People think the Fed might be goosing things a bit, um, but just to get back on the financials, we are sensing that people are saying, OK, things have gotten a little overheated. Mm. Where have things not gotten quite overheated and wanting to play the rally? Dr. Worth,
1: I mean, I, you know, let's put your psychiatrist behavioral economics out. You heard what she said. I mean, people, t- I well, believe it's, it's, it's overvalued, but, but I,
7: I'm not going to sell I, it. Right. But I don't want to quit. Right. And that's it's ever thus. I, mean, well, I can't it, quit. I can't quit. Right. Or my cost base doesn't allow me to quit. I want to pay taxes. That's the nature. And we also know the clustering in big names, Apple and Microsoft. Um, so much does depend on the financials, and the valuations in many names are reasonable. The case for JP Morgan seems like that's been the crowded one. That's the Apple, that's the Microsoft financials. I'd rather do something American Express, looks like a breakout coming. Whereas J.P. Morgan already broke out, or a MetLife, there are all sorts of good names within financials. Yeah, and,
6: and I would just say I, I'm not going to defend, you know, sort of the leaders so far. I generally like the idea of laggards at this point. I think that's where investor appetite
5: is. So speaking of laggards, Tim just mentioned the regional banks. If you look at the KRE, the the index mm-hmm. that, that tracks them, it had that breakout. It's been range bound. I think it ch- ch- uh, late August it touched 48 bucks. It traded almost 60. Now it's come back and it's trading like 57 sloppy. and a half. It's it is sloppy, and, and, and you didn't get the breakout. What right. does that mean to you?
7: I, I well, first of all, that's a sort of different kettle of fish. There are very good uh, regionals and super regionals, but as an aggregate, the KRE has been a very unhappy uh, proposition, and I just wouldn't do it.
1: You know, I want to read something from Morgan Stanley and have somebody comment. This, this came out today from their wealth management division, and I got it, and I read, it, and I thought, this is really sort of a bluntly honest assessment of the markets, maybe, if you believe it. Here's what Morgan Stanley said today. Comparisons with the 1999 stock market are compelling. Complacency indicators are high. Valuations on nearly every risk metric for the index are above their averages. Compressed risk premiums leave little room for investment. Consider rebalancing your portfolio quarterly instead of annually. Trim passive exposure and selling extreme outperformers. So even Morgan so Stanley, you sure
2: those aren't Dan Nathan's notes? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, from, from... Thanks, Dan.
1: This is Morgan Stanley Wealth Management. This is what Morgan Stanley Wealth Management is sending be, out that's to be all their RIAs. And all their clients. And they're basically saying the markets are wildly or close to wildly overvalued. Well, This is not like some I guy mean, in his basement with a blog. No right, no offense right. to that guy, I like him. Mm.
7: I mean, look, you're, that's what makes a market. They're always buyers and sellers. But we all know that sometimes you get into a period where it's just almost frozen in autopilot up. And that's what this feels like complacency. Is that what the is charts look like list.
1: to you, Dan?
5: No, it, I mean, the sentiment is dumb. The, the price action is dumb. All the points that they just littered in that like, paragraph, they all make sense. But right now, nobody's taking them seriously. And this feels so much like January 2018. I can't tell you. I know there's a, a lot of people are going to give you a lot of reasons why it's not. But it also feels like a lot of other times in my career over the last 20 years where indiscriminate buying, especially the concentration and the names that we're seeing, it won't end well. And it's going to end sooner than later. I'm not telling you we're going to crash and this and that or whatever. It's just not going to end well. No one can even see a three to four percent pullback that means you're going to get 2x that or maybe worse and it's going to take like january or 2018 it took 10 months to make a new high once we topped out those are the conditions that are ripe right now you look at
1: gene munster of loop ventures frequent guest this show he wrote in his blog today not in his basement he wrote in his blog today that tesla is probably all short covering and it's likely going to have a very sharp pullback at some point or at least history says that kind of stuff how, how risky are things right
7: now? They are, and, the, and the, the, the point you're citing and point in time that January of 2018, we're on the two-year anniversary of that. The transports are still below that level. The BKX is below that level. The materials are below that level. The energy, I mean, it's all dependent on this Apple, Microsoft, you If there's any trouble in paradise, and these darlings ever have a setback, market cannot sustain it.
1: Okay. I think that's an important conversation. Well, people are writing in, they're adding us. Is this the bear version of fast money? Adding us. They're adding up. Uh, I think this is just the realistic version.
2: No, but valuations matter. Right? I mean, and the realistic version. Valuations matter, and they, it always comes back to valuation. I think we've made and that. And
1: everything way. is earnings growth. And by the way, earnings growth is expected to fall. Coming up, why Lululemon investors are no doubt feeling very cool today. Plus, all the biggest biotech bosses in the world are in one California hotel right now. They can check in. Or will they check out? With the group lagging the overall market, could a big conference turn it all around? Be sure to check out the CNBC app for your smartphone, tablet, or TV. You can always watch us live there as well. We're live at the NASDAQ, and we're back after this.
0: You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
1: All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Lululemon looking like the apple of investors' eyes, hitting new all-time highs again today. The company raising earnings and revenue guidance thanks to a strong holiday season. (laughs) Lulu is up more than 85% in the past year. Gaia Dami, is this still a good bet for our viewers? hard on so, coin, or
4: are the dogs barking on Lulu? I mean, you know, you let know let the we up? have to address this. So I had to bring my dog with me right now. He's in the bed. Now Jason's playing all the dog bark. Who let so the dogs we're, out? We're bringing the dog outside, the number in? one. That was flip. Number two, I mean, this is a stock, I think, across the desk. We've been positive on for quite some time. We pointed out the valuation is stretched. If they have the EPS growth and the comp growth, it sort of signifies they're going to continue to move the upside. And then you saw what they said today. So I think this is a name, despite the ridiculous move and despite my feelings
2: about the broader market, you can continue to own. And I think we've been pretty steadfast in that. I do, I do think, though, dropping this into the conversation we had last block, um, would, would Lulu be doing this in, a, in, in an environment that's anything close to this? It would not be. It would not be. Um, it is a great growth story. The addressable market in terms of uh, the male uh, addressable market, which is now you know, 23%, it's going to grow significantly. That's where they're getting their growth from. That's exciting. The valuation's not exciting.
1: Okay. Well, it's not all sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows for retail. Five below shares falling at one point more than 10% today. They ended down 11%. The discount retailer issuing a warning for the fourth quarter saying sales fell short of expectations and blamed, in part, the shorter holiday calendar. Five shares now trading at their lowest level since January of last year. Any hope that five below will heat up from here? And I will remind our viewers that all retailers operate, Guy Dami, on the same calendar. They know this calendar years ahead of time,
4: and everybody operates in the same retail framework. Yeah, and this is a stock that's been on fire until then, but it's somewhat disingenuous to use that. And you're talking, it's not like they slightly miss comps. I mean, they were expecting comps to be up 2.6 percent and comps were down 2.6 percent that is a significant miss so look i think at a certain point this will become interesting again on valuation but i don't think this is necessarily a one-day event and if you broaden it out you see how the market takes names like this out to the woodshed when they miss and this is what happens and this is just one instance but again it can happen across the board What's interesting too is the, the retailers like lululemon that sell hundred dollar
1: stretch pants dan yeah. Seem to be outperforming companies that sell $5. I, I,
2: cases. I think
5: it's also people who own... Apple shares and Microsoft shares, and they have chunky positions, and they're up 100% year over year, and you go out and you buy yourself some uh, see-through Lulus or something like that. I, you know, I you don't do. Know. And, and I would throw would. Nike in there. You know, listen, on the flip side, near the five, you know, you have Dollar Tree, you had Kohl's. There, there were some really disappointing kind of sales
2: in that quarter for a lot of those lower-end retailers. Brian, you like music, right? Wouldn't Five Below be the, a great name for a boy band? It would Let's be. go to commercial though. I like I think. it. No, the, the, the hottest
1: boy band in the world yeah. right now
2: is BTS.
1: Yeah. My yeah. initials. So every time I see that, I think.
2: Yeah. I'm right. hot. You could right. have been somebody. For a we'll full roundup,
1: I could have been somebody. <laughs> Tender. Oh we're well, we at a boxing match in the commercial break. All right, for all a roundup of today's big retail movers, you can head to our website, cnbc.com. In the meantime, here's what else we've got coming up on Fast.
7: The biggest healthcare conference in the world has descended on San Francisco. We'll talk to the CEO of cancer treatment company, Agios, to get the latest on its pipeline. And later, Netflix racking up the nods for this year's Oscars. But will that translate into wins for investors? We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns.
1: Shares of Agios Pharmaceuticals falling more than 6% today, but now down 17% in a year despite a big December ruling from the FDA giving Agios a big breakthrough therapy designation on its Tibsovo treatment and an analyst community that is overwhelmingly positive on the stock. Meg Terrell is at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference in San Francisco with the CEO of Agios. Meg.
9: Brian, thank you so much. And Jackie Faust, thank you for being with us. Great to be here. Thanks for having Agios on the program. So Brian was just talking about the stock being down today, kind of going with the overall (laughs) trend of biotech uh, being down overall, basically on what people are saying is just not as newsy a start to this conference as many people hoped for. He also talked about an analyst community that loves Agios, and we saw that in the notes coming out today saying this is overblown. What do you make of the investor reaction today?
10: I think um, maybe there wasn't a whole lot new in what we were saying. I also think that I've gotten very philosophical about short term uh, stock price movements. We're in the business of bringing uh, beneficial therapies to patients and that's what we're gonna continue to uh, focus on. We talked a little bit about some of the milestones that we have have coming up in 2020 that we're very excited about. And we went a step further and put some stakes in the ground around where we think the company could be in 2025, and many of the, the more financial-type metrics around of some of that guidance was probably largely expected by uh, analysts and investors. We've been getting very positive reactions uh, in our meetings today. As you said, the analyst notes have been uh, positive, so I think investors have a lot to digest today, so hopefully they'll digest our news in a very positive way over time.
9: Well, part of that forecast for 2025 is doubling the number of drugs that you have on the market. Tell us about some of those opportunities that you're looking at.
10: So uh, today we have uh, two drugs for the treatment of acute myeloid uh, leukemia. We brought those drugs out of our internal discovery uh, science in record uh, time and got them to patients. Uh, They've done very well. Uh, with uh, patients and how they're uh, treating those uh, diseases. So we're looking forward to having uh, four drugs by 2025 and across potentially four times more diseases than we're in today. So in at least eight diseases, and these drugs are going to take us into a new era for Agios, which is consistent with our experience in hematology, but we'll be going beyond malignant hematology and into Uh, serious blood disorders that are non-malignant diseases like sickle cell disease, uh, thalassemia, and and some others. So we're very excited about uh, that and it speaks to the uh, expertise of our scientists because these are all internally discovered molecules and we're very proud about that.
9: So one of the programs that you have is for a very rare disease called PK deficiency and one thing that analysts are focused on is just identifying more patients with that disease. And that's part of the business model when you're focused on rare diseases and rare cancers. So how is the progress with trying to identify everybody who has this?
10: So, And I think this is one of the things that speaks to agiosus creativity because we're not afraid to tackle these difficult diseases. And we think there are no approved treatments for a pyruvate kinase deficiency today so we're very proud of where we are with the program. We have two phase three trials that are going to read out by the end of this year and then we'll move to file for approvals of that therapy for these patients. We've learned a lot about the disease and received a very positive reception from the physicians who treat this disease as well as patients. They are very happy that somebody cares about the disease and is working hard to develop therapeutic options for it. And what we actually found in one of these two phase three trials when we were enrolling, we found more patients than we expected to find in the disease. So uh, we think our patient-finding efforts have gone very well, and we're looking forward to bringing those therapeutic options to patients. We're excited about it.
9: So you are in a sweet spot for what Big Biotech and Big Pharma is looking for in terms of adding to their own pipelines. How do you look at the future of Agios as an independent company when companies are looking to do M&A in cancer and rare diseases?
10: Well, I can't speak for how they're thinking about us, but we continue to do what we do. We want to bring great treatment options to patients and really leverage the expertise that we've built over the years in cellular metabolism and a deep understanding of metabolic pathways. So we're just going to continue to work hard uh, to do that and move things as fast as we can on behalf of patients and hopefully come up with some terrific uh, therapies for them. So.
9: Well, Jackie Faust, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to having you back. Thank you very much. All right, Brian, I'm gonna send it back to you and everybody don't forget to tune in tomorrow to more coverage from the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference where we've got another great lineup. Back
1: you I'm sure I'm sure you do, Meg Terrell. It's just this is like back to back. Look at that lineup that Meg has tomorrow. She does like forty interviews a day and they're all great. Meg, we'll look forward to it tomorrow. All right. Biotech, though, trading lower today as the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference kicks off. You know, the IBB is up 9% a year, but 41 different biotech stocks have done better than that, including 22, which are up more than 25%. Guy Don, what's your take on the space in general? If you just bought the IBB, you gave yourself a big chance of really
4: underperforming if you just threw a dart which i can understand people wanting to do cuz then you lose the sort of the binary events but i think you want to be in the space for exactly that the binary events and i think listen, i've done a lot wrong here i think we've done a lot right in terms of some of these biotech names look at biogen for example that huge move off the bottom surrept is a good example Agios, which we just talked to, I mean, this is a very interesting company. You're talking about a $3 billion market cap company that currently has about $550 million on their balance sheet. Yes, it's sequentially down from last year, but you know what? They're healthy. They've done a couple raises. Obviously, that dilutes the shareholders. But, again, you're playing for an event here, and you've already endured a lot of the pain. So I think this name, Meg just spoke to the CEO. I think A-G-I-O is the name you can own right here. Okay, good stuff. Well, as we said,
1: there's a lot more from that healthcare conference coming up on Mad Money. Jim is speaking with the CEOs of CVS, GlaxoSmithKline, and others. That is coming up, of course, at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up here on Fast Money, the one airplane stock that is moving in the options market and does not have a Boeing 737 Max problem. But first, one, pins and needles. Dan steps up to the plate to pitch his big idea. Will this social media stock be a home run? Investors We've got Dan's fast pitch coming up. <laughs> All right, welcome back. It is time now for an instant replay. No, we're not checking tape from the Astros' 2017 World Series win, which now I think guys would have an Astro ricks on it. You didn't. Say you it. know what? We should Astro-Ricks. just keep moving,
2: Brian. Okay. I think we've already had a couple. I've, I've contributed some bad humor tonight. For so very I, bad. Yeah. Dog spot. I mean, at least
1: you didn't bring your dog. Out. <laughs> All right. Earlier this month, Dan Nathan step up to the plate to pitch Salesforce.
5: So when I think about what's going on in the market here, if we're going to continue to see a melt up and people are going to reach for high valuation, high growth things for beta, Salesforce is going to break out.
1: All right. Since then, shares of Salesforce are up more than 13 percent. By the way, you may not even know this, Dan. It's the best performing stock in the best performing sector of the market this year. IT so great call. So what do you think of that stock now?
5: Listen, I, it went up. Ten, twelve percent in a straight line. You know, on no new news. It was a couple upgrades. So, you know, my target was about a ten percent move on the breakout. I think you take the trade and you kinda of move on here.
1: Take the, well, great call again. Thanks. Okay, Dan, since Salesforce, which is such a success. Why don't you head over to the Plasma and sure. give us your newest gas yeah. pitch. No so pressure. So here's one that I'm kind of socializing
5: a little bit here, and it's called Pinterest. This company went public last year in April at 19 bucks. It traded as high as 35 over the summer. And in early November, when the company reported their Q4, they had a very disappointing quarter. The stock was down 17% the next day. Um, they showed decelerating revenue growth. Um, average, average revenue per user was disappointing. But they did have some, some positives there. Uh, margins were better. Net ads were kind of accelerating a little bit, but the stock was put in the penalty box. It closed the year basically flat from its IPO price, much better than some of its other tech IPOs um, that we saw last year. But I'll just mention uh, one really important point that I think differentiates it from uh, on an adjusted basis, this company is expected to be profitable this year. Not expected to be profitable for a few years on a gap basis, but they're growing sales at 35%. So they guided down. If you see a real acceleration when they report next month, you might see this stock kind of move up. One of the things I'll just mention is the stock is trying to bottom. It spent some time over the last two months below that IPO price, kind of kind of banging around between 18 and 19 and a half bucks. I think 20 looks like a pretty interesting breakout level. Um, and the last point. I'm just going to make right here is that you know when we look at the focus on these big ad platforms like Facebook and Google and you look at the monopolies they have, I think at some point you might see some M&A activity for some of these smaller niche players, which includes Snap. But this is a company, again, it is growing users, they are growing sales at 35%, and they do not have the regulatory scrutiny that some of these other ones will. I could see a Walmart looking to buy a Pinterest at some point. We know that Walmart's e-commerce head, Mark Lohr, the company bought his company, Jet.com. That really accelerated their e-commerce. I think A Pinterest within a massive retailer like Walmart would really accelerate, um, re-accelerate some of their e-commerce efforts. Let's just go to the chart really quickly here. This is how this stock was trading since its IPO down at 19 bucks. It was trading pretty well. It broke on that earnings expectations are obviously pretty low here. I think you get this thing above 20. You might see a move back to 25 if next month, when they report, they're able to beat and guide higher. And I'll just make one last point. You could look at February options, which will catch that earnings event and could define your risk. It costs you about 5% for at-the-money calls in February. I like to play it like that for a move back towards 25.
1: Well, hey, quick question for you, Dan. You got $11 billion market cap yep. on, a, on a Pinterest. So let's put a uh, 40% premium on any deal. So You're looking at a, you know, 15 roughly, billion dollar deal. You think a Walmart would be willing and able to digest that? I do. I, listen,
5: I think this would be a company that should be a tab or it should be a feature of Amazon. Amazon can't go out and buy another ad platform like that. And the other thing is Amazon's ad growth is growing pretty tremendously. This would be a way for Walmart to really just expand their e-commerce capabilities and put a CEO founder like Ben Silberman in the place to take over for Mark Lohr, who is a serial entrepreneur. I suspect he wants to get moving at some point. So to me, that one makes a lot of sense. I'm not saying you buy it for that. I think you buy it if they beat and guide up the stocks headed back to the mid-20s.
1: All right, Good stuff. Come on back here. Okay, no more questions. Time to vote. Are you buying Dan's pitch on Pinterest? Tim?
2: Yeah, you know, I am. Um, And at one point I thought he was doing an airline so I drew Dan in a plane. But it's actually actually pins. And I would be a buyer. I think the monetization and the fact that in 3Q these guys got EBITDA positive and also the international MAUs are significantly ahead of uh, of progress. Um, Early days of monetization but I like the sell-off in the price now.
4: Okay, Guy me Yeah, I am with. I love Pinterest. We've talked about it for a while. Yes, the stock has been difficult, but 330 million monthly average users, ARPU, that's Tim's word, not mine, but that hangs in. And you're talking about, if there is an M&A deal, you're talking about probably a 16 to $19 billion deal, which in this environment is not a big deal. And I think Dan makes a lot of sense. So I don't think you necessarily own it for that. But that's sort of your tail. And it's not a risk. It's actually a potential huge bonus to the upside.
1: Okay, interesting stuff there. And a compelling uh, M&A discussion, guys. Appreciate that. So the traders have spoken. What about you folks at home? Are you interested? Voting a Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money we will reveal the results later on in the show. All coming up. Big sign of the times for Hollywood. This year's Oscar nominations say about who's really running the streaming game stick around and welcome back to fast money this year's academy awards were announced earlier today the nominees anyway and it's a major sign of times for hollywood let's get out of julia borston who's in la with the details julia
11: brian netflix shares adding more than three percent today after the streamer drew more oscar nominations than any other studio 24 nominations in total to Netflix, up from 15 nominations last year. Netflix's Oscar nods Top Disney, which together with its Fox Searchlight, has 22 nominations and Sony has 20. Now, the question is whether Netflix, with two nominations for Best Picture for The Irishman and Marriage Story, can win that top award after its Roma lost the Best Picture award last year. Now, The Irishman, with near-perfect reviews, is considered a lead contender. It's going up against Warner Brothers' Joker, which has the most nominations, with 11 nominations in total. Universal's 1917 and Sony's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Both also have 10 nominations. Now, studios do benefit from the awards attention, especially if their films are still in theaters, such as Universal's 1917. But Netflix will certainly also try to make this awards attention work in its favor. We can expect it to mention these nominations in marketing as it tries to add more subscribers and hold on to its current subscriber base, and also as it tries to lure over more top content creators to work with the Netflix platform. Guys, back over to you.
1: Okay, Julia Borston. Thank you very much, Julia. All right, let's trade Netflix. Any point of view on this stock, Tim Seymour? I mean, yeah, I'm a trader I've certain,
2: favorite. I've certainly had one. Um, I've been a, a, a trader on this, if that means you're selling it, or although historically trade and fade meant actually buy. So I'd fade it. Um, and I do think you have a case here where uh, technically I'll let other people talk about that breakout about 325. My argument has been profitability. There's no question this slate is very impressive. And it's also, uh, to be reminded, uh, often their 4Q subs are very be- heavily back quarter weighted, which means I think this is all ultimately going to be somewhat positive for the company. I do think profitability is a major, major issue. We talk all the time. Maybe more important is the report of Disney plus Q1 in early February than actually the Jan 21 earnings for Netflix because the competitive landscape is what's driving this move.
5: Yeah, I would say qualitatively 24 Oscar Noms, that's great. They spent $15 billion to do it. That's three and a half billion more than the cash that they generated. So to me it's a disaster when you put it together with the fact that they have all of the Marvel, all of the Lucas, all of the Disney, all the Pixar, all the Peacock, friends. I mean, the list goes on and on and on that is leaving in the next year. And you say to yourself, the only way they're going to be able to keep these subs is if they continue to break these content. And I don't be- think being a movie studio mm-hmm. is going to do it. I don't think dropping 10 episodes of Stranger Things on a random July day is going to do it. So I think this company is at a massive inflection. And uh, all that being said, when we just saw Tesla go up the way it did, there's no reason why this stock can't break up on uh, like in mildly improving... Yep. you know. Yep like metrics over Agreed. the next couple
1: of months. Now, no, Lori Calvis, you're, you're not talking individual stocks. We know that. But you believe as a group the FANG stocks should be sort of sold, ignored?
6: Well, 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 we talk to investors a lot these days about if you want to move back into cyclicals that are undervalued, what do you sell to do it? What's your source of funding? And one area that consistently comes up is this media entertainment space within the communication services sector. It's basically just been this place that people have hidden for the past year because of trade war concerns, recession concerns, investors are ready to let go of that take, part of the market sell right now. take
1: some profit use that money to right. buy other things right. that are more valuable
6: right and it's not a commentary on any individual company it's just simply that the opportunity is perceived to be greater elsewhere and the reason for hiding out in these kinds of names just isn't there anymore
1: okay good stuff lori thank you very much up next put your seat back and trade table in the upright and locked position because airline earnings they're about to take off we're going to tell you one name though that option traders are betting on and it does not have a boeing 737 max issue we are live from the NASDAQ, and Fast Money is back right after this. All right, welcome back. The airline stocks, Yeah, had a little investing turbulence over the last couple of months with one big exception. That is Delta. Delta Airlines far outperforming its competitors. The company reporting earnings tomorrow. And over in the options, market traders are betting the stock could enjoy a nice bounce. Mike goes in San Francisco with the options action.
12: Yeah, so we saw about four times the average daily call volume trading in Delta today for the best performing stock in this space. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about 3.8% higher or lower by the end of the week. That's pretty much in line with what we've seen over the last eight quarters, which is about 3.3% or so, the most active options were the Jan sixty calls, which also happened to expire this coming Friday over eighty four hundred of those traded for about eighty cents. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the stock could rally above that sixty strike price by at least the eighty cents they paid. That would suggest that they 're making a bet that the implied move or greater will be to the upside. And if we take a look, we can understand why we see this kind of sentiment, possibly. The stock has obviously performed very well. The street is overwhelmingly positive on the name. So if you're inclined to press your bullish bets here, this might be an inexpensive way to do it.
1: All right, Mike, thank you very much. And we're going to, of course, have full coverage of Delta's earnings, including an exclusive interview with the company's CEO tomorrow morning on Squawk Box. But right now, let's trade Delta Airlines no Boeing 737 Max
2: issues. Well, I, it's it's another one of the reasons and and you know this isn't just luck that I think Delta is the best you know, best-run airline out there and trades should begin to trade at a bigger premium to the group. I, I do think that the valuation is, is is difficult to really assess in this environment, but I still think that the valuation is trading as if this economy is, is in recession. This is best of breed. Um, airlines are, are such great trading stocks that I don't think you have to do any one thing, but I think you should be trading the range on this to the upside.
4: Yeah, I think that's a great point by Tim. I mean, if you go back to July 17, Delta has been in this 55 to $60 range-ish, for the entire time. Now we're at the upper end, so I guess the good news is you don't have to make a decision because this will report before earnings. In my opinion, this is how you play it. You buy it on a breakout above 60. If they miss, you're looking for a pullback back to 56.5, and that's how you trade the stock post-earnings.
1: Okay, thank you. For more options action, you can always check out the full show Fridays, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, your final trades. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Time to reveal if you bought Dan's fast pitch on Pinterest and the voters have spoken. Unfortunately, oh, they are oh. they no. They're not well, they're not buying, but it's not by much. 53% of the people saying no, which means Dan that 40 something percent said yes. Person. Give him the they dance version. Give the dance version. Not all is lost. At least you get to hear some Tony Braxton
2: as we head into the final Damn. trade, so they don't they don't hate. You. I think the SEC is going to dominate again tonight in a very important football game. I think Delta will dominate the airline sector, at least on relative value, even if airlines look a little difficult in 2020. I'll
1: give you six and a half. And Done. for coffee. Lori, thank you very much. Go ahead. Thanks got for it. having me.
6: Uh, we're selling the consumer discretionary sector. The consumer resilient. Everyone knows it. Everyone's been hiding out there. There's more opportunities out there if this recovery thesis takes hold.
1: Slamming the American consumer, Lori.
5: Boom. Yeah, you know, the Pinterest was a trade idea. Just like the Salesforce. I think we're in a squeezy market here. Some of you think when they have a reason to move, they'll move. And that's what I'm playing for.
4: Guy? I thought Dan did an excellent job on the power pitch, Sully. I mean, the fans at home might not have thought so, but here on the desk, we did. Number one. Number two... G.W. Farmer, we've talked about that double bottom for a while. The stock is moving to the upside. Nice.
1: G.W. Farmer, we like it. Interest, thank you very much. Thanks, Airlines. Lori, thank you for being with us as well. Thank you all for watching Mad Money with Jim Cramer. Starts right now.
11: Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley.